0: The opening words of the Bible begin with that telling truth that in the beginning, God created. No matter how you read the Genesis account, there is no doubt that even before time existed, there was magnificently God. God in his wisdom and perfection, and with infinite love designed a universe which consists of all space and time, comprising all of existence, and all forms of energy and matter and the structures they form from subatomic to intergalactic, and at the theological center of the entire universe is spectacularly Earth. Ours is a world created with purpose by God, on which he made our first parents in his own image and likeness. Ours is a world visited by God incarnate. Matthew Henry, attempting to describe our world, writes, the world is a great house, consisting of upper and lower stories, the structure stately and magnificent, uniform and convenient, and every room well and wisely furnished. There is great variety, numerous sorts of beings, vastly differing in their nature and, and form from each other. There is great beauty, The azure sky and the verdant earth are spellbinding. There is great exactness and accuracy. Under the microscope, we see the incredible detail and phenomenal exactitude of God's creation. There is great power. It is not a lump of dead and inactive matter. The earth itself has a great magnetic power. And there is great order, a mutual dependence of beings, an exact harmony of motions, and an excellent chain and connection of causes. And there is great mystery. There are phenomena in nature which cannot be solved but which God leads us to explore and wonder. And as you read through Genesis 1, you find that the word of God is the means whereby God accomplishes his acts of creation. We read in verse 3, God said, let there be light. And in verse 6, God said, let there be space and so on. God said, God said, God said, and these things happened. The word of God is God himself in his creative action. And when God said, let it be, things happened. He was in absolute control as he designed and created the universe. And the galaxies and the wonders of space that we are just discovering and the minutiae of our planet, the insects, and the plants, and the colors, and the smells of which we're all familiar. And the psalmist writes, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. There was an immediate obedience to God's command. And the Apostle John goes much further than the writing of Genesis 1. He introduces the person of Jesus as the word of God. The one who made it happen. And in John 1.1, in the beginning, the word already existed. He was with God. And he was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Yes, Jesus shared in God's eternity. And by definition, God has no beginning. We, as creatures of time, can't get our minds around that, can we? Uh, uh, the no beginning? No ending. Our concept is that everything has got a beginning and an ending. But as John writes in the beginning, he is referring to the beginning of time. But Jesus already existed before time began. And although Jesus lived within time as a human being, he is not bound by time. He predates all existence. As Athanasius wrote there never was when he was not. However far back we set the beginning of things and whatever model we use to determine the origin, Jesus was present as the presiding Lord of that moment and event. And the God who speaks in the Old Testament, who entered into covenant with his people Israel and inspired and moved the prophets, was none other than the God known in Jesus Christ. God has not changed or evolved. Jesus Christ was always at the heart of God. As Jesus himself said, I and the Father are one, and anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. God is always Jesus-like. The God of the Bible is not an abstract principle, or an unknown force, or a set of rules, or an unfeeling remote deity. He is a relational God, who has made himself known to us in the person of Jesus. As Hebrews 1 says, the, the Son, Jesus, reflects God's own glory and everything about Him represents God exactly. This scripture gives us a little perception into the incredible burden that Jesus was carrying, as he knew the terrible events that were awaiting him. It also gives us an insight into the sweet and intimate relationship and the conversation that Jesus had with his Father. And the issue is not whether or not Jesus should accept the Father's purpose, but whether that purpose needed to include the horrifying cup of suffering on behalf of a fallen world. Or whether there was a plan B, some other way to bring men and women into a right relationship with God. Jesus was totally honest in his prayer. He knew that he would have to suffer many things. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, tells us that. And yet he begged God to take the cup of suffering away from him. You don't expect the Messiah to pray that sort of prayer, do you? It's a prayer that seems in direct contrast to the revealed purposes of God. But in Jesus' heart-rending request, he gives us permission to grieve, and to cry, and to plead with God, and to wonder why God accepts our honesty. You only need to look at the Psalms to see how often they're filled with grief, and lament, and anger, and even doubt. There is honesty, even to the point of anger. How long, Lord, Are you going to hide yourself forever? Jesus prayed, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And here is the honesty, the opening up to God of the pain and the torture that he is suffering. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup. Away from me. Here is the knowledge that God is all-powerful. He is almighty. He is all-knowing and safe in that knowledge. Here is the pleading that God will find another way. That he will find an alternative to the humiliation and the torture and the death and the darkest prospect of all. Separation from God Himself that Jesus is about to experience. No wonder Jesus cried out, Father, take this cup away from me. And you can imagine tears in the Father's eyes as He immediately moves to answer that prayer. Yet, On that single word from Jesus. You can imagine heaven holding its breath as it falls silent in suspense. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And here is the absolute submission to the sovereign purposes of God. Let it be, yet not what I will, but what you will. Maybe you're glad to see the back of 2023. Maybe it was a bad year for you. Your prayers seem to have gone unanswered. You doubt whether God really is interested in all the details of your life. And if he is, then why didn't he intervene and make it all right? Well, this prayer of Jesus may give you some clarity and some hope. There are some things that we will never know this side of heaven. Sometimes we struggle to see through the fog of our despair. And even Jesus seems to have had an unanswered prayer. Until we reach the joy of Easter morning and realize that life will never be the same again. Jesus has ultimately conquered and his triumph will ultimately see us safe home. Can you imagine Mary's shock at being visited by an angel? And not just any angel, this was the angel Gabriel. And the angel then says, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. I wonder what was going through Mary's mind. Me? Being highly favoured? Have I won the lottery? What does he mean by saying the Lord is with me? You could say that Mary was very apprehensive. She was anxious. She was fearful of what was to come. We read that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel knew what was going on in her heart and in her mind. He knew that she was frightened as he says, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. Mary was from Nazareth. Not the large and busy city that it is today, but a village then, in a tiny province, in the hollow of the hills around Galilee, in a remote corner of the country. She was from a poor and lowly family. She was young. As most girls were married off between the ages of 12 and 16, the average life expectancy was much lower than it is today. And not only that, but she was a female in a patriarchal culture. The marital and inheritance laws favoured men and boys, and women were subject to tougher laws on sexual behaviour and purity, and they relied on the men. Economically, as well as being under man's authority. And all these characteristics would lead her to suppose that she was unusable to God. The Jews were expecting a Messiah, but for 400 years, God had been strangely quiet. There were no notable prophets or prophecies during this time. And then God does the unexpected in a quiet corner, in an insignificant area. He appears to a teenager with the greatest news of all time. God hasn't changed. He's still calling teenagers. And men and women and children, all ages, you may think yourself somewhat insignificant, located away from the throbbing cities. Your background may be ordinary like the rest of us, but you are of great significance to God. He is still calling people to follow Him. He is still searching for willing hearts who will open up to him, who will share in his work, who will obey his word. You too are highly favored. You were chosen by God to be part of his family, to be used in his service. God is with you. He is for you. He is on your side. He is fighting the battles alongside you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows all the challenges that you are facing right now. And will face in 2024 and beyond. And God's favor is on you. And he wants you to know that. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And you may feel that your education or your ability or your experience makes you a poor candidate for God to use. God often chooses the despised. And the foolish and the weak to be his servants. He does this to confound the mighty and to prove his power and reveal who he is. God works with each of us where we are and takes us to where he wants us to be. But we need to be willing willing to leave behind our excuses and simply follow his leading. Mary learned the secret of that truth. Nothing is impossible with God, said the angel. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born Well, we call the Son of God. And if Mary needed more proof that God was as good as his word, the angel continued, Even Elizabeth, your relative who's going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. Wow. That was a lot for a teenager to take in, wasn't it? And how does Mary answer that? Well, we read that Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And that response seems to be why God chose Mary to be the earth mother for his own precious son. Mary learned that she was to have a a child without human paternity who would be the Messiah. She did not know whether Joseph would stand by her and honor the betrothal or whether he would opt for divorce since he knew he was not the father. She simply took God at his word and he would sort it out. And God did. Matthew's Gospel tells us that God sent an angel to speak to Joseph as well. And Joseph also took God at his word. Matthew tells us he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Could Mary have understood at that time all that God was going to do in her life? I don't think she knew the half of it, do you? God's favour does not automatically Produce instant success or fame. In fact, this blessing would lead to so much pain in her life. Her peers would tease her. Her fiancé came close to leaving her. Her son would be rejected and murdered. Let it be to me according to your word. And this is a word for all of us. It's a word for you today. Whatever challenges you are facing, and we face all sorts of challenges in life, don't we? It might be financial, or it might be health. It might be friendship, or relationship. All sorts of challenges we face day by day. Whatever challenges you are facing, take God at his word. He has chosen uniquely you for a task that only you can do. Zephaniah, the prophet, tells us that the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice Over you with singing. Yes, we'll have all sorts of questions, won't we? Why do you allow this suffering, God? Why am I going through this trial? Why me? Why him? Why her? And God doesn't mind our questions. He's big enough to deal with them. What he wants is your heart. surrendered to him in love. We need to be assured that with God, all things are possible. Why? He's the one who put creation in place. He said, let it be, and it happened. He is almighty. With God, all things are possible. We need to respond. Let it be to me, according to your word. At a low point... In his ministry, the great pioneer missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, battled with the conundrum, Christ is rich, but I am poor. He is strong, but I am weak. He saw that faith was the essential requirement. Faith was the means to get hold of God's fullness and make it his own. But how to get that sort of faith? He says, I struggled for it, but it didn't come. I tried to exercise it, but it was hopeless. How do we get our faith strengthened? Not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. I look to Jesus And saw that he had said, I will never leave you. Ah, there is rest. I have struggled unsuccessfully to rest in him. I'll strive no more. For has he not promised to abide with me? Never to leave me. Never to fail me. And he never will. Mary learned the secret from an early age. May we all be found resting in his faithfulness. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. So as we come to the end of one year and as we look to the start of a new year let's just pause for a second. Maybe we need to lay down all the bad things, all the hurts and grievances of this past year. Some of us have experienced all sorts of trials that maybe we haven't even shared much to our closest friend. We need to lay those things down. Father, we pray for those here this morning who are suffering, who are going through unspeakable trials, Maybe we're, maybe we're still suffering in sorrow from bereavement, Lord. and We're not sure how we can cope, how we're going to get through 2024. And Father, maybe there's some struggling this morning with bad news about the health. And we wonder what the new year is going to bring we wonder what sort of suffering we might experience. And maybe, Lord, there's some suffering here this morning financially. We've just got through Christmas, but there's so many debts to be paid. Father, we bring these things to you. In our sight, they're huge. They're massive problems. But we come with faith. Pretty small, perhaps, Lord. But we come with our meagre faith to one who is absolutely faithful. We come to you and we know that with you all things are possible. You are the one who who put the stars in place, who created our world and all those things that we've never seen and are millions and millions of miles away and are so beautiful. You're the one who did all that. We know that you have all power. And so we come to you and we fall at your feet and we say, let it be to me according to your word. Will you have your way in our lives, Lord? We submit ourselves afresh to you. For 2024, we come to you and say, Lord, will you reveal your purposes in us? Help us to centre our hearts and minds on your word, On your living word, the Lord Jesus. May we be your servants. Totally submitted to him. Oh, we work in our lives. May you bring the glory to Jesus through us. May we we be your conduits. Channels for your power. For your blessing. Will you do unimaginable things. Through us. Because of your great love and power. Help us to be your servants Lord in this coming year. We don't know what it brings. But we trust you. We thank you that you hold the keys. To all unknown. And we are glad if other hands should hold out keys, or if they were even given to me, I would be sad. Thank you that you are the key holder. You are the one that we can trust. You are the one who's proved yourself over and over again. We love you, and we lay ourselves at your feet. And say, will you take us and use us afresh for your glory, for Jesus' sake. Amen. The great hymn writer, Frances Ridley Havergill, wrote that lovely hymn, didn't she? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Maybe that will be our prayer at the start of this new year. Take my love. My Lord, I pour at your feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be. Ever. Only. All. For thee. You know there is a fourth. Let it be. It's not on the screen. We haven't got time to look at it. But it's found in Revelation chapter 1. And the verse says. Look. He is coming. With the clouds. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. They will mourn because they've lost their opportunity of getting to know him. So let it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who is and who is to come the Almighty. And there is a day coming soon, maybe in 2024, wouldn't that be great? When the King of all kings will silence the nations. When every eye will see Him. When every tongue will acknowledge His sovereignty. And every knee will bow before Him. Now we see Him through dim glass. But then we will see him face to face, and we shall be like him. Praise God. Praise God.